Welcome back to A Moment of Bach, the second episode in a two-part mini-series on the transitional moment, the et expecto bridge of the confiteor movement of the Mass in B minor. On this podcast, we take our favorite moments from Bach's vast output, just a minute's worth, even a few seconds, maybe even one note, and we show you why we think that they are remarkable. If you have not heard the first episode, the one that was released just before this, please check that out. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. And now let's jump back in. Okay, all that is amazing, but now let's get into the best stuff here. So now the music slows down a little. And suddenly we're going slow. Adagio, as Bach marks on the score. It feels like D major now. Yeah, I'd say it feels like G. It feels like the dominant of G right there. It never goes there, though, because it's yeah, like so a cadential. Well, does it feel like the dominant of G? Hmm? I guess it does, because D, D is set up to not feel stable. Yeah, it's... it's uh, but that's what's so interesting about this. So he started us in F sharp minor, as you mentioned earlier, Christian. So that's not the relative minor of D. So it's a little weird for us to go into D. It doesn't seem right. It seems like we should have gone into A instead. So here, when he lands us on... Seem right to me. It's right though, that's crazy. That's the, on the fourth beat. No, that's correct. It's that weird. Yeah. It kind of lands on D major, but it feels more like G. G minor, right? So where do you think that play a G chord there? Play a G or G minor there. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't do that though. No, it doesn't. It stays here. That E flat minor came out of nowhere. Also, we are getting new text now. Right, you're right. We should, that's right, we shouldn't gloss over that. That's always the most important thing for Bach. Suddenly, et expecto, expecto, resurrectionem. And I expect, and I look for. So in the most unexpected harmony that we've heard so far, we hear the word, I expect. <laughs> so we expect something unexpected. Expect, that E flat minor. Expect. We are now tonicizing B flat major for a second here, which we haven't. This totally out of the out of the blue. Okay, so can you pause right there, Alex, so that we can explain that what matters most if you don't know anything about music theory and major and minor and whatever, what matters most is how 
far away we are from where we were expected to be in, in harmony. And we started in our home key of F sharp minor. And the close areas to that would be like A major. That's, that's one of the most expected places we'd go. Maybe C sharp major for a while. And here we are in B flat major, which is very far. Yeah. So what matters is how unexpected and far we are. When we were in D or G, we were medium far away. We still, D major is still related to F sharp minor. They only have one key signature symbol apart from each other. So once we entered B flat major, that's when it got really weird. And we also have to mention that this harmony sounds weird to us with our modern ears. It would have sounded still pretty remarkable to the ears of people in the Romantic era, although they were experimenting with a lot more extended harmony, so maybe not as much so. It definitely would have, would have sounded still interesting, but the, the point I'm making is that in the Baroque era, to hear this would have been absolutely mind-boggling because the tuning systems of the day only just recently began to embrace things that were not closer to just intonation. Which means that going out on a limb into weird keys would not even work on instruments. You would just not even go there because it would sound terrible because of the way the intervals worked. And cycling through a whole bunch of different yeah. interesting and weird keys would have been pretty novel. So we land on E flat minor on expect. We ultimately have a, a feeling of going from that to F to B flat, which is making B flat seem like a momentary tonicization here. And we get to B flat and the, the words continue to repeat expecto resurrectionem. But then we are about to hit a new word, mortuorum, which means from the dead. He's keeping us minor here. D minor, yeah. Either minor or something diminished. And diminished is like super minor. And even when he's lightening up to something that sounds major, like A major that's about to hit D major, he's still throwing in some B flats to make it actually more of a diminished thing. If you listen for that. I love that because it's so it's so weird. Like listen to the bass part versus the alto part. It's just that the alto part has B flats and the bass part has Bs. He never plays them together like that because as you can tell, that sounds terrible, but he plays with the idea of having them almost match. And Alex, this is a thing, the idea of not knowing what, if we're in major or minor of the same key, that's an important forward-looking thing that he couldn't have 
probably he probably didn't think of it this way but that's not really a music theory thing that we expect until the basically the romantic era the idea that a composer would just treat the major and minor parallel as for example d major and d minor to be able to switch fluently between the two to suit whatever need you have for the entire stretch of a piece it's not really a baroque thing but that's exactly what he's doing no, and he did it in some arias, and he liked to do it at the end of an instrumental introduction to an aria. He'd like to go into uh, something minor real quick before he went back to the parallel major. He, he did that a lot, actually, if you look for it. BWV 170 comes to mind. Yeah, it happens in Baroque music, but it's just, it's way spicier than most other harmonic things that occur in baroque music it's very notable if in like schumann it's it's like nothing you know right and i wonder if bach thought like oh they're going to be doing this in the next uh, the next few generations are going to be doing more of this probably not because he was getting it from like early baroque stuff and late renaissance stuff there was some interesting stuff happening there too it's not like nobody had ever done it ever especially in choral music i mean like look at gesualdo for example yeah but that's a that's a fringe case really yeah, it's kind of a corner case, admittedly, but I bet Bach knew about him. I don't know. Anyway, we land on D major. And when we do that, we're now starting to see how like, okay, that's he's going to make that sound like a little bit of a landing point because we do have to get there once we get to the festive stuff. But we're not there yet. Most of the chords are diminished chords here. So he's not letting us get away with anything easy. There we go, though. We're gonna be in D now, right? Right? This is a dominant. This is setting us up to D. You would think D major or minor. I don't know. It should jump right into the festive part. Yeah, it should. But <laughs> what does it do? The be- it does the best thing ever, which I, which I'm about to come to. What I think is my moment. Listener John might agree here. That is wild. This thing that where it goes up. So out of where you thought it was going, but then into a, into what is similar to D, although this should resolve to G. That's supposed to be, yeah, that's supposed to go to G, that that fully diminished seventh chord on the downbeat of 139. Yeah, it's supposed to go to G. Yeah, you're right, it is fully diminished. But instead, he moves one note of it. Ooh, that's the note. And it suddenly changes it completely. But where it, where it goes is literally as far away from G as possible. And that is C sharp major. That's like absolutely as far as we can get. By changing one note, one half step, he has jumped across the entire gulf of harmony into as far away as he could possibly get on the tonal spectrum. It's staggering. It's an amazing trick, and it doesn't happen very much in Baroque music. It usually happens later. 
in later classical and romantic era stuff. And it's, a, it's still pretty rare. I mean, that one note, that one alto note, it changes everything. So where he gets us with C sharp major, it goes where you might think, as a dominant chord, it goes to F sharp minor, which is a regression back to the very beginning. It sounds like Confitior from the beginning. It's it's hearkening back. Mm, mm. And then we get a couple more repetitions of this text. And here's how he gets us back around to where we need to be with the key. A major now. <laughs> okay, see, look. He wasn't content with a normal cadence. Uh, or with a normal progression. It's not really a cadence at all, is it? And he had to do this to D minor again. Again, he likes to set up with that parallel minor. It's like you mentioned, Christian, how he's comfortable switching with the parallels. Because as we'll see, he'll go back to D major. This was pretty unusual at the time period. Okay, another diminished thing, but then... Ooh, there we go. And so what's that? An augmented sixth chord, right? Yeah. German augmented sixth. German augmented sixth. Although the passing tone sounds like a French augmented sixth. Can you but, play you know. it, Alex? Just to, to illustrate what makes it an augmented sixth chord is that that top note is raised, and if it wasn't, it would sound a lot nor more normal. Yeah, but yeah. But the augmented sixth. And what's so great about the augmented sixth is that the low tone and the high tone, which is the raised sixth, both resolve only a half step in opposite directions. And that's how he finally gets us to our last dominant chord, A major but he's not ready to jump into D without a dramatic pause. It's not really much of a pause as just he allows the soprano one part to lead us in to where we were finally going, the festive dance. When I first heard this, I just thought, well, surely this is one of those times where you're in one key that's distant in one movement of a work, and you want to get to a second movement of your piece or a second piece and make a smooth transition between them. And it's in another distant key, so you have to go through some very strange modulations like this. Modulation being a word that we use in music theory to mean move from one key to another. But it isn't that, because Confiteor is in F-sharp minor. But by the time we get to the adagio that we discussed way back when we were talking about a setup almost to G, we were still singing the word peccatorum. We're still slowing down. We're already hearing 
a D major chord there. We're already at we already had a D major at our fingertips. Yes. He didn't have he didn't have to do any of this. He could have got there easier. So this wasn't this wasn't out of necessity. This was out of or not out of necessity of harmonic progression. That's just not how Bach operated. This was out of necessity of word painting just to for this to happen. He just he wanted this. Yes. And and my favorite moment is a perfect example of that. Another point after he'd already established this really interesting mood and all these weird harmonies in a slow tempo, he had a chance to go right into the festive thing there, didn't he? At this moment where we talked about right before my favorite moment, which is this. There was another chance, yeah. Another chance to get out of it. Yeah, he could have just gone right into the big thing, but instead... That's where he goes even weirder. So he, he, you're right. He absolutely is painting the text. It's always first and foremost with Bach. Here it's, and we wait the resurrection of the dead and we wait. And then we get to a cadence where it seems like the moment we've been waiting for is about to happen, but we don't get it yet. He makes us wait just a little longer. It's perfect text painting. Yeah. And then it's, it's so great how he continues to use the same words once the festive dance starts. But now you know that he's using it to mean like, and here, here is what we are waiting for. They really anticipate it. It's the same because words. they the words happen early. The words to the dance movement happen at the end of the of the chant movement. They they are spoiled, right? So Alex, the moment of Bach. Obviously, we can't have a podcast called the Moment of Bach and not eventually do this moment. This is the this is one of the big ones. Yeah, but. I wonder if, if you would like to be a, a little bit more specific. I think if it was me, I would say that it comes down to just one single note. And it's that alto note on 139 beat 3. It turns that section going to G into a into a dominant chord of C sharp. It flips it around. It's just that, that one note does it. Yep. That's the, it's in terms of the smallest moments of Bach that I can think of, just a single note is one of them, I'd say. And it's just that one note that changes everything. I think that's mine. Hard for me to choose between that or just the soprano alone, three notes of expecto or eh expect. With a middle note being the B flat is also really cool. Yeah. Interesting. It's just. And also because those are the notes, right? Those. They confiteo. Mm, yeah, the chant from before. So I do, I do love that about it. But still, I'm going to agree with you. This, this, the G sharp is what's the most surprising. You just, you hear it and you, it just amazes you. And and he didn't. Not only did he not have to do this harmonically, but in Baroque music, this it just wasn't even ordinary to transition things like this at all. Most Baroque multi movement works are just stopped and started when they when one part's over and then the next part starts. And he does that almost every time himself. But this time called for something special. It called for them to be indelibly linked and inseparable because of their texts. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Maybe it's just because of the and, the word and. Et expecto. Yeah, but he uses a lot of the other movements start with the word and. That's true. It's not just because of the word and. I think it's just because of the powerful and strange and mystical link between those those texts. It's not 
I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. It's not just saying like, I believe in God. It's like literally saying, yeah. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins and I look for the resurrection of the dead. It's heavy stuff. So I think that's also part of it. That's cool. And now, here is that transition section, the end of the Et Expecto Bridge. This introduction into this musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the Confuteor and Et Expecto movements and the entire Mass in B minor. Please see the links in the episode description. Please check us out on social media and use the podcast application that you're using to subscribe to us on whatever platform you're using. All right, Christian. What's up for next week? I'd like to explore a beloved little moment, our first foray into one of my favorite Bach works, Cantata 150. The Cantata Nach dir her verlanget mich, a choral moment from the middle of that cantata. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Mm-hmm.